Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to a very, very special live edition of Intimate Animation, a Squiggly Animation podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Mitchell. I'm the editor-in-chief at Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. And we've been doing podcasts for a while. We've been doing this particular one for about five, six years now. This is the first live iteration of it. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Hi, I'm Laura Beth Cowley. I'm the features writer for Squiggly Magazine and also co-host Intimate Animation. And uh, we have a uh, trio of fantastic guests with us here today to talk about their work. Uh, if you could all introduce yourselves and say the title of your film, and then we'll talk with you in a little bit, in a bit more in, in depth. But yeah, just to sort of put names to faces. So maybe starting with Chloe. So I'm Chloe. I am the producer from Strange Egg Studios. My name's Phil. I am the writer slash director at Strange Egg Studios. And yeah, our little film's called Woodland that we've recently made. Hi, I'm Julia. I'm the creator of the movie Bogdanka. It was my thesis film that uh, from the Nottingham Trent University that I graduated this year. Fantastic. So yeah, we'll kick things off with a special exclusive screening. You won't see this film anywhere else in the Manchester Animation Festival program. So yeah, let's uh, have a look at Woodland. stuff. Would that be a premiere of sorts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, we had a private screening, but that was mostly kind of team members and backers. And um, so, yeah, that this is kind of the first public screening that we've done of it. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Hope you all enjoyed it. Little uh, backstory of the Intimate Animation podcast in brief. Uh, as you might have gleaned, we mainly cover animation that deals with themes of intimacy, uh, and that extends to themes of love and sex, and sometimes stuff that's a little bit on the periphery of that. So, you know, less the kind of, like, overtly pornographic hentai end of the animation <laughs> spectrum, and a little bit more kind of like, you know, what's going on in contemporary shorts and uh, films and uh, that kind of thing, series. This is a little uh, backdrop of some of the previous work that we've covered, the guests that we've had on, uh, people from all over the world. And uh, it's been a really interesting way, I think, of exploring contemporary animation with this specific mindset. And it's been a lot of fun. Someone that I haven't introduced yet is our um, sort of quasi-official mascot. Uh, this was uh, handcrafted by one of the directors of uh, one of the, the most popular podcast episode, the film focuses. It's a film called Les Clitoris, and it was a student film made in Quebec, I think in 2016. And she has a film, a new film, that is actually playing at MAF this year called Caresse Magique, my terrible French accent. And it's a, one of a series of films that basically explores uh, masturbation and uh, the societal inhibitions uh, the, that we have about it and moving through those attitudes and uh, yeah it's really really interesting series so definitely check that out i believe it's in the the panorama section so 
This is our mascot. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't have a name for her yet. If anyone has any ideas over the course of, of the event or if they ever want to send us a message uh, with suggestions, let us know. Maybe we will uh, give her a name at some point. Uh, yeah, but I want to give Laurie a little shout-out. Uh, she will occasionally like do a batch and uh, sell them. Uh, so follow her on Instagram. It's Laurie Malapod Traversy. She's very soft. Yes, <laughs> yes. People can come up and... Um... Rub her for luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, so moving on to um, this episode of the Squiggly Intimate Animation Podcast. I suppose a content warning could be in order. I'm not really sure if it is. We're all friends here. And we've shown the content now. We have shown... <laughs> <laughs> The, the discussion areas that we go into, I guess, can can be a little adult, I suppose. that That's all I guess I'd need to say. If anyone wants to contribute, has anything they want to add or questions they want to ask, just put your hand up and uh, I'll come and find you in the darkness. There is um, a roaming mic as well. Oh, is there? Oh, perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. They take their jobs away. <laughs> I'm just a control freak. Okay, so let us meet all of you uh, a little more in depth. Start with uh, Strange Acre Studios and the film that we just watched. Yeah, if you could tell us about what drew you to animation initially, how you came together, what your respective journeys have been to get to uh, to where we are now. Do you want to start and I'll <laughs> chime in? I started in theatre. Like my passion has always been storytelling and the like creation like new writing contemporary writing i love taking a script and especially one that's not finished and sort of going okay how do we get this from this point until something that people are going to watch i love film i love animation and i'd wanted to sort of move into film producing animation sort of snuck up on me because it, it was i love it but this is my first animated film i've never made animation before so it was completely new to me but I knew that I really wanted to do it and I, I wanted to work on this project specifically. Um, so I think more than anything, what drew me to animation is just that I love watching it. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I don't know much about the technical aspect of animation, or I didn't. <laughs> anything in particular then that um, you were a fan of animation-wise, like things that particularly was of interest to you? I, it's a big question. <laughs> we've Yeah, I think... Um, Probably one of the last things I watched and absolutely loved, um, and I think we're going to talk about this more, because <laughs> we both loved it so much, as uh, a TV series called Steven Universe, which has quite a lot of like queer representation. I'd say it's unrelentingly I'd queer. unrelentingly yeah. queer. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. Um, it was just the first... It, it wasn't the first, but it it really sort of started for me, kind of got me into a space where I was like, oh, okay, there's definitely room here. And there is lots of other animation, um, but you know when you draw a blank when someone asks you straight up? But, um, yeah, I think it was telling the kind of stories that that I love and we knew that we wanted to tell, mm. but hadn't really seen it as much in animation. Mm. One of the things I had watched, uh, there's um, a festival that happens at home, actually. I don't know if it's still on. Um, the last one I went to was pre-COVID, but it's called Queering Animation. And that was always fantastic. I loved watching like short animation that was really experimental and was kind of unapologetically handling weird things and not shying away from them. Mm. Yeah. What other adult animation? On, on the film or like... Yeah. You generally, you haven't done your introduction yet. That's true. I am Phil. 
I've been working with Chloe for some time on mainly smaller projects. This is my second animated film that I've written and directed. The first one uh, was a, f um, a film that was commissioned by Cosgrove Hall and we made like a, a short kind of young adult kid-based film about like a little girl who sort of discovers she's a witch and befriends this older kind of haggish lady and they form a connection from being outsiders. And that was made on a very, very small budget, um, a real shoestring. And then this was like our sort of larger project that I've worked on uh, with Chloe together now. But for me, in terms of inspiration, it's, it's interesting because I would say in the last couple of years, there's definitely been a lot more examples of kind of contemporary queer characters in animation, especially in children's animation as well. But it's always kind of skirted around. It's always kind of ambiguous and it's always not really very well defined. And you never really hear the words gay or like queer in them. It's always like, oh, yeah, I really like this person. It's always very weird. But um, I think one of the big inspirations for this film in particular was there's this little YouTube channel, um, I think it's actually a university in France called Goblins, and they make final year student films that are always like exceptionally good, like crazy, crazy good. And there's one of them in particular called Shudo, which is this really, really condensed like minute and a half film about these two samurai that fall in love. And it tells that, are you, are you nodding because you know it? Yeah. yeah, 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 it's really good. And it's like a minute and a half long. It jumps back and forth between the past and present, sort of showing their relationship as they fight on the battlefield. And the transitions in that film are just absolutely incredible. Like, you know, there'll be like a sword slice, but then that sword slice will turn into like a hand caressing somebody's back and it'll jump back to when they're in bed together. And it's just, oh, it's mind blowing, it's so good. And that sort of, that example of like really subtle, really quiet storytelling, and also how creative you can be with animation, sort of, you know, blurring the past into present, um, really, really inspired me with this film to make it. As a queer person myself, obviously, I wanted to see more examples of queer film, especially in animation as well. And Julia, uh, yeah, I guess if you could introduce yourself as well and um, talk a bit about where your film kind of began. It's part of the student panorama, yes? So yeah, well, how did that all begin and uh, what brought you to animation in general? Well, hi, I'm Julia. Uh, well, regarding the inspiration, at the end of the, my second year uh, at the uni, I already knew that I would like to make um, a Slavic movie, something related to Slavic culture. Me being Polish and me being away from home for quite a long time, I got quite nostalgic about Poland and my, and my culture. Then I started getting more interested in it, even though never before I wasn't really, didn't really care about it. And during my stay in, in England, I started to care about it. And basically all of my work is somehow relating a little bit to that culture. So thanks to that, I had, because I already knew that at the end of my second year, I want to make Slavic movie. Uh, I had time to pre prepare for it. I had time to do a lot of research and I had time to reach out to the band, for example, with the music, which is Percival Schuttenbach. Uh, some of you may know them from the uh, Witcher 3. They made the soundtrack for that game. And I kind of started doing this movie a little bit backwards because first, well, I, maybe that wasn't really backward, but I had a theme, then I had a song, then I had a style, but I didn't have a story. Mm. Uh, 
So when I was going through the songs that they already made, because I could only like get the song that they already have made, I found this song that is in the movie that is very that I really really liked, and then I looked up the lyrics. And then I thought it would be perfect to use this song and incorporate into it this Slavic demon, which is a Nunraf, who is a demon of a woman who died right before the, her marriage or shortly after. And then the story sort of started developing. Uh, it was like, uh, like from a point when I didn't have a story for like three or four months because I already started thinking about it uh, at the end of my second year. And I only came up with the story like at the end of, the, of October. So that's like three or four months. That was like a very quick, very sudden step with a lot of development at that stage. And originally it didn't really was as LGBT as it is now. <laughs> Originally, she was just supposed, the girl who was supposed to just get killed by the demon. But when I went even deeper into research and I started reading about like the customs of marriages in pre-Christian Slavic cultures, which is a very wide term because there were so many different uh, customs in, depending on which part of Slavic territory you were in. But in general, there was very, very little consent in it. Even though that might be not surprising, even the formula like, uh, do you want to marry him, her, started only after Christianity came. So before that, it was really just a union between two families with no consent from both sides, from either from male or female, but we, we can probably imagine that it was a little bit worse for uh, for women at that time. So when I learned that fact, I didn't really feel comfortable about making like a movie where she was like excited to get married because when I read that context, it kind of like dimmed my mood a little bit. And then it sort of progressed to maybe her not wanting to marry and to perhaps her maybe wanting to do something different with her life. And that when we get to this point where maybe the Nunraf is not like a villain who wants to kill her, but maybe she's someone who wants to free her because maybe she was in the same situation before. And that how it ended up being, being a little bit queer. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's fantastic. Both films have really striking visuals for quite different reasons. Like they, they have very sort of different visual sensibilities, but they really do kind of grab you. And we have actually some like visual development materials for both, and it would be great to sort of talk with you all about some of that. But yes, to go back to Woodland and the origins, I guess, of getting it off the ground. And so I saw at the beginning it was BFI funded. Yes. So yeah, can you tell us a bit about the advantages, I guess, that brought to the process? Yeah. The, the money. Yeah. <laughs> the money was really you good. You need money to make a film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the, no, they were, they were great. I <laughs> am... I originally wrote the story back in... God, was it like summer 2020 or something yeah. like that yeah. and I approached Chloe and was like hey what do you think of this film and she was like yeah it's pretty good uh, <laughs> do you want to like, do something with it I was like yeah sounds good and then we saw this funding for the BFI a short film fund not specifically an animation one but just short film in general I think it was like it can't be longer than a certain length and then um, we put together an application for it and applied for it and then yeah after some time they got back in touch and gave us the money 
Yeah, obviously joke, but it, especially for the film we wanted to make, we needed funding for it. Absolutely. Yeah. It was like a next step for us in terms of our creative output, what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to be more ambitious. And this is why the BFI is so great and why it, it, you know this part of it exists is because it wants to fund that one specifically, like yeah. the next generation of filmmakers. So for us, it was like a first foot in the door into this kind of professional production process. And it was great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It was a significant step up in terms of money from the previous project that I worked on as well, which was £2,000, and this was like 15000 Am I supposed to say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what £15,000 gets you. <laughs> so the BFI, obviously, they, they get loads and loads of applications for all of their funding. Yeah. So you have to be very clear when you apply. Why are you making this film? Yeah. That's their biggest question. These films don't exist in a vacuum. Why Why do you want to make it? What kind of impact do you hope it's going to have? And so that for us was the thing that we really, I think from the beginning we were quite strong on. We, yeah. we knew we wanted to make this film and we knew why. And for this funding as well, they particularly welcomed and wanted stories from underrepresented groups. They wanted narratives that were unique that they don't normally get to see on television or in film. So yeah, when we put ours together, you know, our ethos and our vision was, you know, to tell this queer story and about a rural queer story as well, which is something that's quite yeah. uncommon, really. But it really, in the application process, it really does help you hone in on, yeah. on why you're making this film. And to kind of almost, like, not tidy that up is not the right word, but like, it makes you, it draws your focus. Yeah. And it says, okay. And it makes it very real. Because yeah. you, you submit a budget and you start all the planning and the pre-production and you go, okay, this is what we want to make and this is why we want to make it. And this is actually what we can make with the amount that we're applying. Yes. And it just really focuses it down. So it's incredibly helpful in loads of different ways. But then, yeah, they, the BFI liked the story idea and why we were doing it and said yes, which is great. For many of the people you were like pitching to, did you get any kind of pushback on any element of the film, whether it be the animation or some of the scenes or...? Not really, to be honest. Your expression looks different to mine. Um, no, like, we... So, obviously, there is a sex scene in the film, as you may have seen. And from the beginning, we knew that we wanted to include nudity or a sex scene because we wanted a really positive adult demonstration of these men being naked and being able to express their sexuality. And we didn't want it to be in this kind of pornographic, seedy way. We didn't want it to be, like, you know catalyzing or like you know sensational for the point of it. it was supposed to be you know people get naked when they have sex and that's kind of what happens and we were really adamant about that from the beginning but then there also was a bit of hesitancy where we had to really consider will this limit the kind of festivals that we'll get into because you know of the sexual content you know will it offend people will people push back against us and we haven't really had anything like that yet, but also it hasn't really been out in the public sphere yet. So maybe a bunch of bigots will hate it, but we're not sure yet. But um, yeah, like for, as far as I'm aware from the limited people that we've shown it to, no one's really been sort of like, ugh, gay stuff, go away. No, um, yeah, no. <laughs> so. reassuring. No, um, to be honest, I think that we've felt a tremendous amount of support the entire time for all of for the story itself for yeah. what we were trying to achieve everyone really that we've spoken to about it has just been really behind the idea a lot of the people that worked on the film with us as well were queer and a lot of them said that they really enjoyed 
the narrative and it really resonated with them, which was really, really lovely to hear. Like a couple of people, you know, when we were advertising the job said like, I'd love to work on this project because I grew up in a rural area and this story really, really resonates with me. And that was really, really touching to see. Yeah, really no, apart from like a few kind of story points where it was more about making the story well-rounded and fitting everything in. Yeah and really setting our own boundaries. Because uh, originally this was a 12-minute film and it quickly became apparent that it was, that was not going to work. We couldn't do that. And so really it was us learning that process of, okay, what can we do? Yeah, really killing your darlings. <laughs> Chloe, Chloe killed a lot of my darlings during this film, I'll tell you that. But it was good because it's good to have those boundaries because it makes it a better film. Yeah, yeah, when definitely. You have to, I think that this film is... The best version it is, yeah, yeah. that we've created. I massively agree with that, yeah. What were some of the darlings then, or the, the sort of deleted scenes, I suppose? <laughs> Oof. So in the original version, there was a lot more Arbery. There was a lot more Alistair, who's the main character with the, uh, the brown beard. A lot more of him in the woodland looking after the trees. Because we wanted to make it really clear that he loves the place that he's from and he loves his job and it's a real compromise for him to have to leave at the end. And he's very attached to this place. So we had a lot more shots and action of him just working in the forest. And we obviously did include some elements of that, but yeah, there was a lot more of that. And it was a lot, the pace of it was just very different as well. The pace of the very original, you know, 12 minute epic as I refer to it as, was yeah, a lot more slow paced, you know, a lot more sort of like very quiet, still shots of the characters in the wilderness trying to sort of show, you know, how small they are in the grand scheme of things. And a couple of characters even got cut as well, like Alistair's parents were in it as well. But yeah, when we really sort of cut it down, we just had to like, yeah, cut all the chaff as well. What else did we cut? That was quite... Oh, the humour. Yeah, we cut all humour. We didn't want it to be <laughs> remotely funny. No, we did actually. There was a lot more gags in the original one, like a lot of silly gags, which were quite funny actually. But I they, don't see they didn't off. really have a place in the story. It's the cruelest <laughs> thing you've ever said, Chloe. Um, now, nah, like, yeah, like they were funny from a visual perspective, and we like the visual comedy of animation. It's something that's you know I think animation really lends itself to that format. Like there was a particularly hilarious scene where a ginormous branch sprouts out from beneath. Alistair's legs, suggesting an erection. Um, yeah, absolutely hilarious stuff. But it was funny, kind of, in the context of it, because it's so unexpected. But um, yeah, we didn't think it was really in keeping of it, because we wanted to keep the tone not like, you know, sad and melancholy, but like, you know, reflective and kind of pensive at times. And yeah, giant phallic wood wasn't necessarily in keeping with that. It, it is a style that does lend itself I think, to the sort of light, light moments as well. Yeah. And were there any sort of challenges, I suppose, and maybe we can go into that a bit when we go through some of the development visuals, but about of like sort of fine-tuning the look of the film to kind of strike that right mood, I suppose? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the actual animation style itself was very, very difficult to pull off. That borderless animation style we found surprisingly challenging, actually. Um, it was something that we were really clear about from the very beginning that we wanted it to have like this kind of... Obviously, you know, it is an animated film, but we wanted to kind of remove that cartoonish element like where you'd have like the thick black borders around it. But obviously you have to draw those lines originally to form the shapes of the characters. So our animators had to go back and just remove them from every single frame. You know, it's 25 frames a second. It's a, it's a lot of stuff to do. But yeah, in terms of the tone and the aesthetic, we, we always knew that we wanted it to have 
elements of the woodland coming into the pub and them serving as this kind of visual reminder of their relationship together in the forest. That was, yeah, the, the woodland, or we call it the flower realm for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> and still that person is. Because one of the things that we really continuously ask ourselves is why is this a piece of animation mm. and not just a live action film? That was a really important question. Yeah. And for us, that ended up being this very kind of visual representation of their sexuality, like of Alistair's sexuality, mm. of that intimacy that they were able to have in the woods. That then encroaching into these places where they don't feel as comfortable to be themselves, having that kind of visual representation was a really key element for us because it sort of it shows you without having a giant branch bursting from someone's crotch we hope that it shows a kind of like that you can't oh it's not good to hide these things mm. it's not it is a part of you and you carry that with you yeah. all of the time no matter which spaces you're in but those spaces determine sometimes mm. how how open about you know these elements of yourself you can be mm. yeah so that was a really important element. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think you mentioned before there was another chap, Ben. Yes. Um, if you could tell us a bit about his involvement and, and the role, I guess, he played. Because was he on the visual side of things as well? Was he directing? Yes. So Ben Gardner was the storyboard artist, but also kind of chief um, visual developer and... We, the art director. Art director. Yeah. I suppose <laughs> you could say that. That would be the correct thing to say. Yeah, and he was the one that I worked with on Patricia and the Witch previously as well. We've worked on a couple of different projects together and I worked very closely with him on the style of this. He did all these character turnarounds. He's an absolute beast of a human being. And yeah, we when we went into this film, we knew that we wanted it to feature these ginormous burly men. We were really keen to have these really, really masculine characters sharing a tender and intimate story. And we wanted to represent that in the style of the film as well by having these ginormous torsos, uh, that borderless style and no dialogue as well. So trying to get that across in terms of the visuals is really difficult. And yeah, like we really wanted to make this contrast clear between the very drab, boring kind of greens and browns of the pub and the function room where they are in the town and then the sort of brighter foresty colours and the progression of the seasons as well. So you've got like a sort of kind of warmer greens of the spring and then the kind of uh, oranges of autumn. And then when they're in the world at the end where they're dancing together in this forest constructed out of their feelings, it's got these more kind of surreal purples and oranges to it as well. And yeah, Ben um, kind of did all of this. It was really interesting first placing the characters in the world. Like we've got um, visuals of it, and sometimes I was just like, "Oh my god, you just like these two men, these two big burly men, just in the forest." And it like it took a bit of work trying to like get, I think, to get those two elements to match up. Yeah, because you design them separately. Yeah, definitely. And then you put them in the same location, and you're like, "These do these fit together?" <laughs> yeah, just in terms of art style as well, because obviously each of our visual development artists had a very individual style that they brought to it. And I think they were very good at keeping it consistent with all the backdrop elements and designing the assets like, you know, like the um, pub and like the um, the pouring spouts and the glasses and all the little pieces of furniture that you see. But then matching that with Ben's character design as well was hard. And yeah, like they're just so large. They're just such ginormous men <laughs> that everything they hold is just so tiny in comparison. Like, you know, Fergus, the guy with the ginger beard, he is holding a pint pot in the pub, but it just looks like this tiny ornate glass because of his colossal fingers. But that was a, an aesthetic choice that we wanted. We wanted these, you know, ginormous big men. 
And there was a point where we were designing these men and they were getting steadily burlier and burlier, um, which is great. Love it. But then we always knew um, that the central element of this film was going to be this romantic dance that was like a partner dance. And in the back of my mind, <laughs> and I'm sure I did say, I was like, can we, what are the body mechanics here when we, we create these two big, massive men? And that then created its own problem of like yeah. trying to make that look... Uh, natural yeah and fit them together and make it like flowing and beautiful definitely and, and all of these things like delicate is not the right word for it but it is there's they are quite in how they kind of hold each other there's a certain dancing. grace to it isn't there to dancing yeah. especially because they are doing this combination of a traditional scottish Cayley dance or inspired by the moves of a Cayley dance as well as elements of waltz and um, like classical ballroom dancing and yeah they you know like God, trying to get them to actually connect, get their bodies to meet was really hard because, yeah, look how big their torsos are. It's just <laughs> absurd. But we weren't willing to cut, uh, compromise on <laughs> yeah. the size of them. So, But, it, I mean, it worked in the end. And it, it did, was yeah. Great. And I'm so glad that we were able to keep the size of them and still make them dance in, in the way that they do and yeah. still make that this kind of really... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not delicate, but Intimate. is it delicate? Graceful. Is that a good... I'm looking at you. Graceful. 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 Intimate. Is, tender. Yeah, all of the, yeah, a tender, graceful dance. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, congratulations again. I hope it has a long festival life ahead of it. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you very much. Uh, that you'll be uh, on to new films soon as well. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Next, we, um, if we talk about Bogdanka, was that the correct pronunciation? Yeah. Hey. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned NTU before, and um, overall then... Did you find it a sort of positive experience? Like, were they supportive of the idea and helpful in developing it? Yes, definitely. The teachers were always very supportive. They always gave you a lot of creative freedom. At the final year, you were, like for your thesis film, uh, thesis projects more and more so. You could choose whether you want to make a film, whether you want to make like a 3D environment or like a character animations and or visual development. So it wasn't like you had to stuck with one thing. They sort of like, throughout the two years, you sort of develop in what direction of animation you would like to go to. And at the, uh, during uh, our final year, when we had to do this thesis project, we got to choose what we want the project to be. So I chose, obviously, film, because I like making films. I like t telling stories. It, it just like suited me best and the teachers throughout the projects were very supportive even do, do, during my up and downs i had a lot of downs during this <laughs> this film just a lot of issues with like procrastination and lack of motiv motivation especially with like uh with the situation uh, with ukraine and all of that uh that sort of affected my workflow uh they were always supportive throughout the whole experience and also uh, very supportive of like with the style whenever I wanted needed help to, like hey I have this problem I don't know how to solve it uh, I'm just stuck Th they were always there to help out so definitely that was a very positive three years in Nottingham so you talked quite a lot in your introduction about like where you took inspiration from culturally and historically and but the film also marries quite a lot of different design processes together there's quite there's this very graphic look mm -hmm. and then there's also this kind of more washed pencil montage -y moments could you talk a little bit about 
the kind of visual inspiration you had for the film? Yes, I had like inspiration mainly from two artists, one of them being Zofia Strzyńska, which is a Polish artist, a female artist from 20th century, one of the most popular ethnic artists that like portray the culture of, let's say Slavic, because it's not just Polish culture. Uh, we share it like with uh, with Russia, with with Ukraine, with uh, with Czech. It's just like very very wide uh, culture. Regarding her, obviously she makes very unique and colorful paintings, but also like geometric yeah, as very well. Angled. Very angled. So like that's sort of where I came with idea for my characters to also be quite a bit angular. I really like the geometry that she portrayed in her uh, paintings. And it just sort of, after some development, it just ended up at this stage. And then the other uh, painter, uh, also a Polish painter from 20th century, Stanisław Jakubowski, he was also interested mainly in like Slavic ethnic art. And those two were had a huge part in like keeping the culture alive in a way because we do see that it's fading a little bit although in recent years I think it's changing a little bit that people are a little bit more aware of it I am a little bit more aware of it so it is changing a little bit and it's prevailing uh, there are like interesting movements that bring back the re- even the religion back of the old Slavic people so I hope that it will be more developed in, in the future. And yeah, for like uh, regarding him, I just like really like this woodblock prints. Mm-hmm. And I really like this look. And I sort of like tried to put it on my animation, like translate it into it. And it's just like how it ended up looking like this. Yeah, it comes across in not just the design style, but the movement as well. It has that kind of slightly more staccato, slightly more as if it was printed processor, mm-hmm. everything is a little bit more angular and sharp rather than being super fluid. But then you have these like really painterly moments as well. Yeah. I also think like this gives uh, this feeling about like this ethnic art in a way, because like back in the days, like uh, like the Slavs from, because I, I was aiming sort of, not precisely, but sort of like pre-Christian Slavic culture. Obviously they didn't have, all those paintings, all those, not not the uh, like pre-medieval art culture was not developed that well in like Central Eastern Europe. I'm not including like ancient Greece in that or like Rome, but just like more Celtic and more like uh, Slavic ethnicities. So I kind of wanted to give that feeling uh, of like going back in time a little bit and since red as well is a color that was mainly used by the society that's also one of the reasons why i wanted it to be like brownish reddish sort of uh, feeling i wanted it to look a little bit old but also like to give this feeling that it is slavic yeah yeah were there any other cultural influences on that design sensibility then that uh, any sort of Contemporary animation or not really. That's the thing. One of the reasons why I wanted to make that movie was because uh, there's not really a lot of those kind of 
films or animations. Uh, the only one that I think, it is quite recent one, uh, that is sort of similar in a way to that is the Wolfwalkers uh, mm-hmm. from like yeah, two yeah. years ago, I think. And uh, I was happy to see it bec- because it also had like this kind of feeling that it was traditional. It was like a little bit older. It had like this vibe that, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, we sort of go back in time as, as like same with like the character designs and with like the backgrounds and all, all the feelings. So that's like the only example example I can think that maybe I somehow was inspired by. Uh, but there, there's not really a lot of like Slavic inspired works unless they're Polish. So like the, the authors, but the, 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 those are like from 20th century. Oh, and also another uh, example might be the game of The Witcher 3, which was made by Poles. So even though it is a fantasy, there's a lot of like influence from like Polish culture. There are a lot of Easter eggs that I assume people that are not Polish will not get. And that makes it even more hilarious to us Poles when we play the game. But it's still not like a Slavic game. It is a fantasy, like uh, like the author of the book, Sapkowski said, uh, it is a fantasy movie. It is based on many cultures. So the basilisk representation in, uh, in The Witcher is quite a Polish one. It's not like from Harry Potter. But there are other monsters I can't remember now uh, that are not entirely like Slavic. So it is uh, it has a lot of influences of Slavic culture, but it is not entirely Slavic. And I wanted to make a movie that is like mm-hmm. that belongs to this ethnicity in a way. Where you mentioned in the game, there's kind of these Easter eggs, and I'm quite into like there being little Easter eggs in animation. Being an animator myself, I like to put in things that no one will notice, um, <laughs> but me, and it gives me satisfaction. And I notice things like the beads that turn into blood. And I was wondering if you had any kind of stories about how you've sort of slipped visual things in that perhaps only makes sense if you're from that culture. Since uh, like Slavic, like the heritage, let's say, is not cherished well there is even for polls it, it, it is a little bit like difficult to understand everything <laughs> because let's say an average joe won't know who nunraf is okay. and all of those like easter eggs that i put it it's truly understandable by people who are like studying polish ethnic culture and are interested in slavic mythology and and, and all of that so like one of the the example is the title which is Bogdanka that is not necessarily relating to like Slavic mythology but it is quite an old Polish word that is not used anymore and most of people think it's just a name mm. and I also thought it's just a name after I made my research and it has connotations to like words similar to like enamorata, beloved one, okay. uh, sort of like this kind of meaning. So when I saw like, hey, this is like a very Polish word, this is, sounds like a name, but it has like double meaning behind it. I guess that's my title. That's why I also wanted to do that because it's like mm, spreading a little bit. And it's not like very clear from the movie all, all of the moments and I will all, and I hope in a way to encourage people who 
would like this movie and to like get interested to get a little bit more into it so like why the sun is always in the middle of the of the scene is because she's a noon rough she comes out at noon to the demon comes out at noon to like kill the people or like in the letters in the beginning there's like a sign for in the title there are like signs for gods of death uh in slavic mythology in the headbands even like the when when I looked into the Ukrainian embroidery, there is like symbolism behind numbers as well, and I also tried to portray it into like her headband or in, in her dress, which some, some are like addressing like a woman, some are addressing like a union between the sun and the moon, the opposite. Some are addressing like fields, and all of this I kind of like try to put together to like mm. like give a deeper meaning sort of to this demon which is the new Raf who comes at noon who kills at the fields and all that uh, but also i wanted this to be like sort of a curios curiosity for people interested in like ethnic culture of slavs <laughs> wonderful does anyone have anything they'd like to put to the panel Hi. To the, the makers of Woodland, I was curious because you were talking about um, when you put the application into BFI and how that helped you to kind of formulate the why of the project. I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about like the why of the project, um, uh, you know, from your perspective, like what you wanted to achieve from it, like from putting out in the world and everything. So it was... I guess, I'll, sorry, I'll talk very briefly about the inspiration behind it as well, but um, I guess it was, well, it is about, you know, these two men who are sort of at different stages in their sexuality, kind of struggling to reconcile that with their relationship that they're also experiencing at the same time. And it is, you know, about rural queer narratives and how people have to compromise and how they have to give really s severe things up in order to be themselves. And like, like Chloe said before um, earlier about people having to like consciously modify their behavior around other people, like in the film, you know, there's this reoccurring motif of the hands and the fact that, you know, they can't even do something as simple as hold hands in public because of the environment they live in. And I guess we really wanted to make a story that was kind of highlighting this kind of inequality even in Manchester, even in the UK in general in 2022, like, you know, where we consider ourselves a very modern, very progressive country, but, you know, people still have to act this way. And, you know, we did a lot of research into it. Obviously, a lot of it is based on my own experience growing up in rural England as well. But, you know, like, this is a very mild story in comparison to what a lot of people experience, which is, like, actual violence or abuse living in rural communities, like people throwing bricks through your windows and stuff like that because they know that you are openly out. And we kind of just wanted to kind of highlight that sort of inequality. And, yeah. That's not to say that that's, like, the experience for everyone. No. And also that those things don't happen in other places either. But no. I guess to that point, it, it puts me in mind of when you submitted your bio for the website and you mentioned an irritation at a, a dearth, I suppose, of representation. Oh, I do in, get irritated about this. <laughs> in film and television and, you know, thinking of stuff that like you brought up, Stephen, you know us before. And I can think of a few, like, shows and films that are kind of making some strides, but it is a few. It still feels like it's not quite in the mainstream yet, or when mm. it's in the mainstream, it's in you know, like almost this tokenism way, like yeah. Disney's first gay character. They've done that like 10 times in a row, it feels like. 
But are there any that you feel are succeeding, like getting it right, or are there like any areas that you think they're absolutely not getting it right, perhaps? Mm, yes and no. So when it comes to mainstream adult animation, I guess like a really good example of a show that doesn't do it right, in my opinion, is Big Mouth. Because Big Mouth is... Controversial. Yeah, I know, I know. Very, very hot take you're about to hear now. Big Mouth is interesting because it's very good at showing the sort of ugly side of puberty. And, you know, we always go through these horrible, awful emotions and they're not clean, they're messy and they're complicated. And especially when it comes to, like, sexual health and bodies, I think it does a really good job of shining a spotlight on that and showing, you know, like, this is what we do, this is how we exist. But when it comes to sexuality in that show, because the show is always so focused on breadth and a broad uh, group of experiences, they want like every episode to be about a new issue. They never really actually stick with anything for a long time. Like there are some like queer characters in it, but they're just so auxiliary to the main plot. And like, for example, like, you know, one of the characters kind of comes out as being pansexual or bisexual. And it's just sort of like a thing that happens for two episodes and then it's just never seen ever again. And I just feel like that's really doing it dirty to not really have this sincere or focused approach to it. Um, when I just feel like it's just such an underexplored thing. I know obviously that show is about broadness, it is about tackling an issue in each episode, but I don't know, I just feel like it's a real missed opportunity there. But in terms of like really positive examples, like we love Steven Universe, but even that kind of irks me to some extent as well because it is unapologetically queer. You've got this cast of like three women um, around this very young effeminate boy and they are very clearly you know queer characters you know they talk about their relationships with other women but it's like you never hear that language you never hear the words queer you never hear the words gay and it's almost kind of implied to some extent like you see them get upset you see them feel love for each other but I don't know like they kind of just get away with skirting around the issue by making it a little bit ambiguous. Like, I remember the showrunner saying that they had to write the characters in a way that these gems that the main characters are actually aren't women. They are, like, physical representations of people, but they're not technically women, so therefore Cartoon Network can get away with showing these same-sex relationships, which is really bizarre to do. Exploit the loophole. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, like, you watch it and you see these people saying, like, I loved her, I was in love with her, and it's like, you're so gay, like... <laughs> I suppose more in that sort of vein in terms of, of the audience age mm. it would initially be kind of aiming at a chap I spoke to recently and he was here actually a couple of days ago called uh, Hamish Steele mm. and he has a show that's quite new Dead End yeah and I was wondering if, if that was on your radar at all and if, if you felt that that maybe tackled it a bit better or... yes I've seen a couple of little short films by Hamish actually um, the one about the urchins is really really funny and yeah I've seen a couple of episodes of um, Dead End and it is interesting and it's definitely a lot more upfront about the character's sexuality. Like the main character, you know, is clearly queer and that is very apparent from the, the outset. And they do tackle queer issues like coming out and like other members of the family not being accepting of it. And it is nice to see that in the center of a story because I think my, it's quite, it's complicated, isn't it? Because you, you don't want to reduce characters to their queerness. You don't want their entire story to just be their sexuality. But you also don't want it to feel like it's tokenism and it's just, here is a character, oh, we will make them gay for the sake of it and then never really explore that. So there has to be a fine balance there. There has to be interesting characters that we like, we find compelling for whatever reason. But then, you know, why can't they be queer? Why can't they be 
on that spectrum in some way. But yeah, I think Dead End does it really well, actually. I really like Dead End. I'm not super keen on the animation style, and that sometimes like can be a bit of a turn-off for me. Like, if I don't like the way that something looks, I find it very difficult to get into, but I do like the writing. I do like the themes that are in it as well. I will say that I'm, I'm absolutely astonished that we, because we have seen all of Big Mouth, but they don't make it easy for you to watch it by the design <laughs> style. It's it's really <laughs> not good looking, is it? Like no, it's that's always been an issue. Like that, I still kind of have with it is they all look a bit like scary almost. Yeah, with their like big googly eyes yeah. and yeah, kind of unblinking, staring at you, and it's like, oh god, it's very unnerving, isn't it? Yeah, we talk about Big Mouth quite a bit on the podcast, and I think that you know we we're watching it through a very different lens, and I think the elements of it that I find do succeed a very specific to my lived experience. Yes. So it is it's it's really interesting hearing, you know, other perspectives on it. And I think that that's what I was kind of hoping we'd sort of get into today, you know, to you know, get alternate viewpoints and things like mm. that. On this subject, does anyone else have any thoughts on that? Was someone over there? I have two questions. So one is obviously uh, in a lot of shows I feel like they bring in a gay character just for the sake of reaching that mark but they mm. don't fully explore it and and like as you said and they also i feel like it's just a check mark and it's not anything more than that and mm-hmm. it's quite frustrating mm-hmm. so it's like how do you build a character so that people don't think it's just for the sake of that and mm. you do it just because you want to like explore that that is a thing that is there not just for that sake mm. if that makes sense mm. No, I can I completely agree with you. Like you do sometimes just feel like these characters are just inserted for the sake of like ticking a box, really. Sorry, are you gonna say something, Chloe? I guess it, it, is it in a sense of wanting to show that these people exist, like these characters are there, as it, it, with most things, like all of these different people exist around us all the time. We don't necessarily know everything about them. So is, is it more about saying, how do we have more of these characters when it's not specifically a queer story that's like the thrust of the main story, it's like characters that are all around them sort of showing the breadth of human experience. Is that, is that what you're so, asking? Yeah, it's a bit like the same of um, when showing diversity, they might just like have a person of colour just for the sake of they're there, so there's colour. But it's the same in that sense, so they might just bring in someone into a show like for one season, mm. one episode, and just sort of try and make it very obvious that they're gay. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, this is... It's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and a really, really valid one and a really important one. Because I think it is important to just show that, you know, that all of these different people exist all the time, even if they're not necessarily like the, the protagonist. I mean, even just being mindful of bringing these characters in and what you're asking them to do, and mm. I think, is going, okay, if we are going to bring this queer character in, then where in the story can we get their characterization through in, a, in an authentic way even if they have five lines in this episode you know but then it doesn't leave their character completely like that's not the only thing i mean going on. they're not always going to be the main character because yeah. um you might have someone like that's world building like they might just be on the sideline yeah. but i feel like um there's a lot of stereotypes and when they like knock onto those stereotypes to make it really obvious you don't want it being subtle like to the point that it's not visible, but then mm. you don't want to just be a cliche. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think audiences are cleverer than they've ever been because we all watch so much television, we all consume so much content that we all just have like a pretty high standard as to what we watch nowadays. And I think they are observant and 
they can sniff out an authentic story. And if something is really real and feels relatable, we will really attach ourselves to it, which is kind of like going back to your point, you know, in that we are very good at sensing what cliches are. We're very good at sensing what stereotypes are. And we really pick up on the fact that this character just feels like they're inserted. But even if it's a character that's only there for like a couple of episodes, if we feel like it's been done in a really authentic and sincere way, we will be like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best representation I've ever seen in ages. And I think it's all just about the writing and it's all about the quality of those characters, isn't it? And just showing that um, there's no one way to be anything. Yeah. I think we might be nearly at time, but I'll try and get away with a little bit more. If anyone else has anything else they'd like to add in. One of my questions was, because you guys were talking about a lot about like how mainstream media treats queer animation, and I've seen a lot of representation recently, and that's great, that's amazing. Like, there's... But most of it, most of it is like Americanized. Mm. Like most of it, it's like series like Adventure Time, The Old House. That end is now made by a British um, company, but still, it's like it's in America. Yeah. yeah, it's in America, and there's like a lot uh, of. I mean, there there isn't a lot, but there's like plenty. I think of queer media, of queer animation, but it's mostly on like first world countries or like very English speaking countries. Mm. And that's why I liked uh, Julia's short a lot because it's like more of a more global look at queer media, queer animation. So one, one of the questions was, would you be interested in looking at more of a more global or foreign aspect of how queer people are seen and treated or maybe how culture has seen queer people in those countries? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Because um, it's, definitely what what we enjoy watching as well but having that breadth of like we were talking about like understanding people's experiences not only in this country but around the world and how they differ for us to start talking about international stories we would definitely want to consult with people who had or have people in our team who had those experiences like Mm. we certainly wouldn't start trying to make them (laughs) just us (laughs) you're absolutely right like you know we are in quite a privileged position to be able to tell this story because the UK especially is, you know, way further ahead in terms of it's like LGBTQI plus rights in comparison to other countries where like this wouldn't even be aired, for example. But yeah, we can tell that story here. But you're right, like, yeah, in other countries, it just would not even be a possibility. There are some other stories that we have kind of spoken about that we would potentially like to tell about other cultural experiences, sort of inspired by like, some of the stuff that some of our team have um, kind of experienced in other countries, but also, yeah, definitely consulting with other people too. One recommendation that sort of pops to mind in case anyone hasn't yet seen it, but a film that I felt was really very effective and is not British, uh, Flea. I thought, yeah, I thought I knew you were about to say that, yeah. yeah. I, that, that was, um, yeah, that was quite something. Mm. It was a really nice piece of work. Extraordinary film. And when you look at everyone that went into like, especially um, sort of funding it and all of the, there's like so many different countries that supported it because um, it is this really important story and it's about kind of movement. Um, and it, it, it wasn't surprising to see, oh, okay, this, this, this took a lot of different kind of, not voices, but a lot of different people backing it. But it, I think, and a really, really incredible story. Well, Super, I want to say thank you so much to all of you for being involved in this. This was really, really wonderful to um, to get your insights and to learn more about your films. Before we uh, sign off, if you'd like to plug your various socials or websites. 
Yeah, so uh, we are Strange Egg Studios on basically, well, on um, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that's that's us. You should follow us. Not out of the room. Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> if you want to say hi, that'd be great, obviously. But um, yeah, and when our film comes out, we're really looking forward to sharing it with everybody. Well, for me, like, if you type uh, online Julia Pizza Weebly, my website will come up. And regarding the Instagram, you can follow me on Viowiska. I guess that's how you would read it. Okay. It's The first one is V, the second one is W. And yeah, that, that's my socials. Wonderful. <laughs> Super. Okay, and thank you all for coming. Uh, we're on the socials at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, at Squiggly on Twitter. Squiggly.com is the website, and uh, Squiggly Magazine on Facebook. Thank you again to everyone for coming, for all of you, for the wonderful home tech team, for the Manchester Animation Festival team, for putting this together. Uh, it's a real honor. And um, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, everyone.